lovely to see you. Hope you're feeling at home with us this morning. If you're on holidays, I'm very sorry you chose Swansea. No, it is going to get sunny, apparently. But there we go. If you're online, great to have you with us this morning. Great to see you and be part of the morning with you as well. Right then, are we sounding? Are we sounding good? Are we sounding awake? Are we sounding ready for action? Are we sounding to learn as if we're going to learn lots of things this morning? <clears throat> and I hope I do. So we see what's going to happen because we're in the next bit of our series of In the Boat with Jesus. Now then, get yourself prepared to get in the boat with Jesus, all right? Yeah, excited? Ah, good, good, right. Here we go then. Let me tell you my own boat story, all right? Now, I'm not a fan of the sea. I'm very nervous about the sea. Anything over waist height to me, I start getting a bit nervous. So, like, anything over two foot is like, I'm very worried about that, all right? It's not my natural environment, okay? So, anything deep in that, I'm a bit nervous about. But going back to 2 BC, Sean and I ended up going on a cruise. 2 BC is in before children, not before Christ. And we ended up somehow, we were 23 years old, we were looking for a holiday, we had a certain budget, and could you believe it, we actually found a cruise, which is the only thing that was cheap enough to go and spend our money to go on a holiday at this time of life. It was like, wow, who gets a chance to go on a Mediterranean cruise for that price? Well, anyway, we went for it. And then, very quickly, we found out why it was so cheap, because we were virtually in the engine room. That's right. Anyway, we got there. Everything was good. We ended up moving rooms, which is great, but we did have one night near the engine room, which is very loud and greasy. Anyway. <laughs> so the plan was to go, to, we flew to Mallorca, and we were going to go anti-clockwise around the Mediterranean. If you're not good at geography, I'm not brilliant. But we went through Sardinia and Corsica over to the west coast of Italy and up and around then to France, to Spain, and back down again where we started. So it was really exciting, a great way to see many cities in a short space of time where you wouldn't normally get the chance. Now, there were also other advantages to this kind of a holiday. Sean and I were a sprightly 23 years old, and the majority of the people on the cruise ship, no offense, were like 75 plus. All right, now the advantage of that was this. There's a lot of food on these cruise ships. If you've been on a cruise, you, you'll understand. There is food everywhere. And when the buffet was open, there's like two, there's an aisle on each deck, and there's like two lanes. There's the lane for the old people, and then there's the lane for us. We're going to the buffet, we're going to the buffet. We wouldn't say it out loud. So there was an advantage. We first to the buffet on every occasion, which is very nice. There was a midnight feast as well, where you could eat as much chocolate and as pudding as you want, okay? I literally put on a stone within a week. But it was very exciting. But of course, it wasn't either my natural environment either, if you, if you know. When you like look over the edge and you see the sea, you know, some people find that enthralling and invigorating and exciting. For others, it's very nerve-wracking and worrying. Because if you had to go over there, you'd have to swim. And I'm not very good at swimming. Anyway, so we went on this lovely um, break and holiday. It was very nice. Each morning we went to a different place. It was enjoyable. It was educational. Who knew it was the leaning tower of pizza and not pizza? I didn't know that. <clears throat> so we learned a lot on our way. Did you know that it's not the only leaning tower in Pisa? There's many buildings in Pisa that lean. Did you know that? Because of the ground and all, yeah? It's true. We, went to, we had a chance to go to Rome, and there was, there was um, Roman centurions. You could have a photo of these Roman centurions, which was great. I didn't bother. Sean did. And uh, it's a great way of earning some money. You know, they have photos, and they earn a bit of money from the tourists. I thought it was a great side hustle. 
I'm thinking of doing that in my semi-retirement in years to come, down by Swansea by the castle there. Uh, that would be great. And then this is the bit now which it gets concerning, okay? So from Nice, so we went up around France, we went to Nice, we had a little day out there. But the next bit was then going over to Barcelona on the coast of Spain. And um, what happened that night is they said that there's potential chance of there being, it being like stormy, choppy, rough water. And if you suffer from seasickness, you should take a tablet. I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to get seasick. Who needs a tablet? It's going to be fine. So what happened was there was a storm, and it was choppy, and we were very sick. But what I found, if you've ever experienced, was weird. So we tried to go to sleep, and then it was like you have been thrown up in the air like 14 foot, as if you're on a trampoline. And when they walk in down, it was as if you'd been squashed into the mattress, as if like a rhinoceros was sitting on top of you. So you'd be up and down, and oh, it was terrible. It was awful. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because it was like the only thing I can physically think of how worrying it is to be in stormy, choppy water. Now, maybe you've experienced that, maybe you have not. But I just want to get us thinking about this part, the next series of what we're looking at here, because Jesus calms the storm. So today's boat story is the account of Jesus calming the storm. And this event must have given the disciples a life experience they'd never forget. Because my life experience, I will not forget. Every time I now go onto a lift, you know, in a hotel, and I come off the lift and stand, I'm like wobbling about. Apparently, it's motion sickness. But ever since that crew, I get that, okay, which is very weird. But anyway, I certainly haven't forgot that experience of life. So, the last two talks fell either side of the boat encounter. Sarah spoke about a, few, a couple of weeks ago, the cost of following Jesus. If you remember, like Jesus says, you know, let the dead bury the dead. And there's a guy who wanted to follow him, but he ended up, you know, Jesus challenged him, etc. But he had more important things to do with this chap. So Sarah did that the week before. Then we have this storm, which I'm talking about today. And then afterwards, you'll remember last week, Julian did an amazing job on explaining about how Jesus uh, delivered two demon-possessed men, if you remember. And they were restored into their right minds. And if you remember the pigs, if you remember the pigs... A couple of thousand of them went flying into the sea. Not flying, <laughs> pigs flying into the sea. Pigs don't fly, do they? They fell into the sea. So there was a lot of bacon sandwiches eaten that day. So the topic, really, so this Jesus calm in the storm is like the in-between bit of these two stories. So if you think of it, this is like a topic of discipleship and faith. So that is kind of the topic of what's going on. And it's really interesting that there's a ship in discipleship, isn't it? when you're getting in the boat. So if you're a disciple and you've got in the boat, or a big boat is a ship, you're, you're having discipleship, isn't it? That's good, and, and faith. So it's a good way of remembering, word association, etc. Okay, so the boat encounter. Let's read it together in Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27. Okay, here we go. So then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So this is an amazing story and account of what happened there. And the event is also recorded in Mark and in Luke as well. And we were very, very fortunate last week that 
the top theologian that we know, Chicky, unpacked the story for us in last week's Kids Spot, if you remember. Okay, so thank you for that, Chicky. I took all that you taught us, and I've incorporated it into this talk this morning. So, the disciples are in the boat. They're in training. It should be familiar, because a lot of them were fishermen, but something was different. <clears throat> fishermen knew the dangers of what they were getting into, but this occasion, fear had gripped them. In this part of their journey, in this part of their discipleship, in this part of their being with Jesus, something had gripped them, and it was fear. It was fear, because they saw the storm and experienced the storm at that time. Now, a sudden storm was not unusual in Galilee, which is like 13 miles long and about seven miles wide, about 150 foot deep in the northeastern part. This is uh, in my research, okay? Apparently, I've been diving there myself, but those are the dimensions, okay? And the geography of the area gives itself to storms because around and about there's ravines and mountains and there's a plateau to the east and there's, you know, mountains to the north. And it gives itself to having sudden storms and the fishermen would have known about this and the disciples would have known about this as well. But there was something different on this occasion because they were overcome with fear, but Jesus was in them in that boat in that time. And we can view this encounter on two levels. We can consider the physical, natural storm. They're in physical danger and all this kind of stuff, and they were worried and fearful. But I believe there's a meaningful, spiritual, parallel dimension to this, and it symbolizes maybe life's journey. When we get into that boat with Jesus, there are occasions where storms will arise and take place, sometimes expected and sometimes not. And the disciples journeying with Jesus in the boat were in relationship and in training. Now, what are the learning points we can take away from this, this, this morning? So the positioning of the lake, and the inner, it's inevitable that there would be a sudden storm. But there's an, there's an eye-opener here. And we see what are, what are the disciples' response? What are their actions? What takes place? And how does Jesus help them in that or teach them in that. And as disciples, like them and like us, we align ourselves, don't we, to the, to the calling and to the teaching and to the challenge of God in our lives. And we learn how to develop and adapt and trust in Him in faith when the storms of life come. Because I was, I don't know about you, but when I was a young Christian, and just learning and finding out about the Bible and trying to get to grips with the principles of God and the, and the teaching of what Jesus does in our life. I thought if I was a prayer and if I was someone who, you know, really trusted in God and lived a great life, that I would never suffer any problems or troubles or trials at all. And then as I started to mature as a Christian, it was actually bad things do happen. Bad things do take place. And what I found was the difference now is I had Jesus in the midst of those times to speak into me words of encouragement, to, to challenge my own faith and trust in Jesus, I suppose, in those challenging times. And for us, that truth is still there, that Jesus encourages us to step out in faith, to trust in him during the good and the bad in all the circumstances that take place. So that's the difference 
how we cope and how we deal with things through Jesus in those times. Isn't it great that we have a loving Father who has love for us, forgiveness for us, peace for us as well, that in all circumstances we can know his fullness and faithfulness in our lives. So the encouragement from God is this. Do not be afraid and have faith. Do not be afraid and have faith. How many times do we read in the scriptures, do not be afraid, for I'm with you. The Holy Spirit is with us and for us and helping us in all avenues and seasons of life. In John 16, we hear these really encouraging words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but have heart. I have overcome the world. And in our natural world, it is such a relief to know that Jesus is in us, through us, and gone before us as well. There is nothing, you know, out of the ordinary for Jesus. You know, we know how he suffered, and we know how he, you know, he went all the way to the cross for us and, and was faithful right through, and that he was raised again into life. And we have that same God filling us and blessing us and forgiving us and helping us all the time. And in this troubled, difficult world, our days don't always have to be full of trouble and difficulty, even though those days do come and those seasons do come. But that doesn't always have to be the story for us. We don't always have to be in trouble and fearful and anxious and struggling. But we can know the peace of God. And we can, as the scripture says here, take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I've got a Ford car. I've got a Ford Focus, all right? And I don't know about you. I don't know how clued up we are technology-wise, but I got like a mobile phone, and there's this thing called Bluetooth, all right? And you can, con you can connect your Bluetooth to the, the Ford system, all right? Now, it's really annoying when someone else goes in and they put their phone in there, and the the thing starts looking for their phone and they're not even in the car. That is, like, really annoying. Take note for anyone who uses my car and links their phone up. Anyway, so after about half an hour of getting rid of their phone and putting my phone in there, I am now in sync with my car. I can play whatever music I want to play. And I'm always, it's like the in tune. Whatever is going on, if, I, if someone is phoning me, I can now answer the phone hands-free. So I'm being legal, but I'm also communicating as well. I can listen to my music. So we're in sync, we're in tune. We know what's going on. And I sense that in life, there's this thing of being in sync with the Holy Spirit, that we can um, have our lives in sync with the Holy Spirit. So when trouble comes along, when we're struggling, when we're looking for encouragement, where we're wanting to hear the voice of God, you know, we can stop and seek first and know his kingdom in our lives. And that is a real discipline to do that. Because I don't know about you, but quite often when trouble comes along for me, you know, I try not to flap. Like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really a flapper. I sit down and think about things and take things to God. But sometimes things happen and it's like you've got to like react quickly or do something, you know. But to have that be in sync with God, to know him in that place, to know his rest, to know his peace, to take heart, to overcome in this situation... It's very important for us who have a living faith that each day we can, we can be communicating to God. 
in all those times. And here we find the disciples were fearful for their lives. The disciples feared the storm. And what is our sympathy levels like for those guys at that time? Because Jesus questions them, where is your faith? Would any of us like to hear that? If we're in the storm, fearful for our lives, Jesus says, where is your faith? I think that's a challenge, don't you? It's like, what would we say? What would we do? Should they have claimed authority of Christ and still the storm themselves? Or should they trust and have faith that they would be okay to continue in their journey without harm? Because ultimately, Jesus reveals his authority over the wind and the waves, and he, you know, stops the storm. And we've recently done the Moses series where the Israelites escaped the tyranny of Egypt, and the Lord you know, parted the sea for them to escape and find freedom. So God is a God of the supernatural. And here Jesus was asking the disciples, asking them, you know, where is your faith? Where is your trust? In this time, in this storm, in this season, where are you going to go with this? Where are you going to go? And reflecting upon it, going to Jesus is important but also knowing, knowing that the journey ahead is with him and that he is for us in the journey, helping us, encouraging us, and as much as sometimes we don't like it, challenging us as well to really, you know, seek after him in faith. Now, the account in Mark, in, the, in, in Mark's um, gospel there, it describes Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, Stern is in like the back of the, of the boat. And even while the violent, furious storm is taking place, it struck me that, you know, Jesus is sleeping. Now, who sleeps in a storm on a big boat? Like, oh, not so big that one, but, but it's like unheard of, isn't it? It's amazing. So in Mark, it says this, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in this stern, sleeping on a cushion, now, it's very clear to me that the situation was serious, the waves on the boat being nearly swamped, but at the same time, Jesus is sleeping. So my thoughts on this are, Jesus must really trust the Father, because Jesus is fully man, fully God. And there he is, sleeping in the storm. So there's a personal peace in Jesus that he is sleeping in this time. And even though the circumstances seems like he's in jeopardy, he's soundly asleep. And Jesus had been in danger plenty of times as we read throughout the New Testament. We know the challenges of his opposition, of those who didn't like him or didn't want him. And um, it's amazing that here we find a peace in Jesus and it's something to, to glean for ourselves, I suppose. Now, in Luke 4, 29 to 30, Jesus was teaching in Nazareth, if you remember, and he upsets those there, the religious leaders, by quoting verses from Isaiah, and he's, you know, he's, he's claiming to be, you know, God, you know. And uh, we hear that they're very offended, and there are the words there, look. They got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill of which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So Jesus is in deep, serious trouble here. But we read that he just somehow just walks through the crowd and goes on his merry way. 
because this is Jesus' terms only. He was not ready. We know that he was faithful going to the cross, and that's where he would be crucified, and that's where he, would al- he was allowing people to do that because, you know, it was illegal what they did to, to, to crucify him and the way they did it. But Jesus allowed that to happen. But on this occasion of being thrown off the cliff, it wasn't time, he wasn't ready for that. It wasn't going to happen. Jesus' terms. Same with the storm. This wasn't the end. Jesus is in control. And even in that time, you know, it is to trust in him. He's, he's really encouraging his disciples to trust in him. There is more. There is further to go in this journey. And we can learn a lot from that. So going back to the situation, Jesus slept. And sleep, of course, is an important part for us, for our health, for our rest, for our replenishment, for our bodies, for our minds, that we were able to replenish and have energy for the next day. And sometimes we can all feel a little bit worse for when we have little sleep. So there are natural things that happen. And there's babies, screaming baby. Who loves a screaming baby at three in the morning? Yes, of course we do. It's only normal, it's only natural. Too much caffeine. If we've been drinking coffee all day long, we've had you know, a tub of coffee, and we find out in the night we haven't been sleeping, well, I wonder why. Try decaf. Maybe our mind has been overly stimulated during the day. Maybe we've been on our screen for two hours before going to bed. We've been fully entertained and excited, and now it's time for bed. And we can't get to sleep. Maybe we've had a very stressful day, and we just can't switch off. Maybe that's why we can't sleep. Maybe we're nervous about doing something the next day, and it's on our minds, and we're, we're on edge a little bit, and we just can't get to sleep. Maybe we're ill or we're injured, and we're struggling in bed, and we can't get comfy. Maybe that's why we can't get to sleep. Maybe there's noise. Maybe there's someone in the next bedroom has got a fan blowing at 50 decibels, and you can't get to sleep. But there are other things, as well as you know, the practical, normal things where we can't sleep. Sometimes there's reasons we can't sleep, but why is that? I just can't put my finger on why I can't sleep. Maybe there's something anxious and deep within us where we just cannot settle, almost like a spiritual thing where we just can't rest in the peace of God, and we're losing sleep, and we're robbed of rest. Well, in this instance, we can know that God is at work, and we can trust in him as we rest and as we sleep. And as I was like preparing the talk for today and praying about it and putting things down onto paper, I felt God impress upon me that he wanted me to pray for us today, for anyone who may be struggling with unusual sleep patterns or just cannot get rest in the nights, all right? So I wanted to do that for us today. And an interesting point as I was studying is, uh, the Jewish culture, the day start and the day end is like sunset. Like us, it's midnight, isn't it? The end of the day is midnight and then it starts, you know, from there on. But in the, in the Jewish society, sunset is like the day stops there, but then it starts again, so you may still be awake. And there's, I quite find this like a reassuring thing. It reminds us that God is still at work. We're kind of, we're going to sleep, but God is at work. It's like the start of the day there. We were singing about earlier, weren't we, about, you know, even, you know, God is at work, and I don't know it, and this kind of stuff. And I think that is a real good truth and something to reflect upon. So why don't we close our eyes for a moment, maybe where people here who have a great sleep, a lovely night's sleep all the time, 
Maybe some of us is just things going on in life and that you know, gets in the way. But for others, there may be a real challenge at the moment, just cannot find peace to sleep. So I just want to pray for us and ask the Holy Spirit to do something about that. Now in Psalm 4, it says this in verse 8, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So Lord, this morning we come to you and ask you again, as we read about, you know, the, the storm in the boat there, that we can know your peace in those circumstances and that we can know your peace and your rest as well. That we can know the blessing of rest and sleep in our lives. That you, Lord, would reassure us of your comfort and your peace for our lives. And we submit our days and our nights to you, Lord. We enjoy your presence when we're awake and we trust you while we sleep. We lay down our thoughts and our concerns to you right now, Lord, as an act of faith. And we exercise faith in all our actions and in all our words and in all our rest today. And Holy Spirit, we ask you now, as created human beings, loved in your sight, that we would know rest and sleep during those bedtime hours that we can know your peace and your supernatural love even as we close down and rest lord so we give you our, our anxious thoughts we give you the things that may be burdening us now and we ask you lord to help in those situations and to help us lord to, to sleep well and to recharge well and to be reassured in the journey of your peace and of your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I hope you didn't mind me doing that. And what I want to do now is just two very quick points to finish off the talk this morning. So point number one, one of the big teaching points in chapter 8 of Matthew is the contrast between having faith and uh, is having little faith and having great faith. And during the storm, the disciples became frightened and accused Jesus of not caring. Do you ever get this when things are going tough and you stand and lose a bit of faith and there's a battle to be had? It's like, well, let's just blame God for that <laughs> or blame someone else for that if I'm struggling. But no, we, we, we take responsibility ourselves and we have faith in God to be at work during those difficult times. So to have great faith and not little faith. Okay, so Matthew, we read it from Matthew this morning, and in the earlier part in chapter 8 there, we hear the account of the centurion. Do you remember the centurion's account? Jesus says, this is a man of great faith. Well, the centurion had come to Jesus. He's asked, my servant lies at home and is unwell and is, you know, going to die. Will you please, like, heal him? And Jesus says, well, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion says, well, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come to my home to come under my roof, but just say the word and your servant will be healed. Such great faith. For I myself am a man under authority and soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and that one to come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So the centurion is saying, you know, Jesus, just heal this guy. You don't have to come to my house. And Jesus says, you know, truly, this is amazing. To those around him, he says, truly I tell you, 
I have found, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Great faith is a good thing to have in life. Let me, let me just say, even in the challenges, to have great faith in Jesus, that God can do amazing things, that we can trust in him for our futures. Jesus said in centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus does great things, great things. Now, in the natural, a centurion works in the Roman army, a hundred men under him, or maybe more, and has a sense of duty and character. And he has a concern for his servant here. So in the natural, it's surprising maybe to see a man of faith at this level, someone working in the Roman army. We talk about like opposites, really. Jesus being Jewish and, and of course, being under occupation with the, with the Roman army there. And he's a professional soldier. Jesus is a man of peace. The Roman soldier is a Gentile. Jesus is a Jew. So although there could be boundaries and barriers, sure, there isn't any because the soldier has faith in Jesus. And that is the great message that we live out, that anyone can know Jesus by trusting and having faith in him. And that overrode everything, the job, the social standing, everything. So trusting that Jesus will heal his servant without needing to even go there, it just shows that he had faith in Jesus that could and would do the business. And if we can learn something today, is to trust that Jesus can go and do the business as we reach out in faith and have authority over situations as well. When we're a, we're a church who believe in the healing power of God, but it's us who goes around and pray in the name of Jesus for those who require healing and help from injury and these kinds of things. And we go in the authority of Jesus. And there's accountability there. And there was accountability here as well. And it was amazing. So, we also see that in Acts 3.16, if you remember the story in the account here, that Peter and John were at the temple gate called Beautiful, and there was a beggar who approached them. And Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And here is a great example of the authority of disciples you know, leaning into the culture of the day, leaning into people's lives in reality and bringing something of God into the situation, the change and the challenge. And this morning, we can know that change and challenge for ourselves in our lives. When things are going wrong, when things are challenging, when things are difficult, we can lean in in the power and the name of Jesus to see change, to see transformation, to see things adapted and brought into kingdom likeness as we pray for more of his kingdom in our world that we will see the light of God shone in the dark areas the Roman centurion was under authority he also exercised authority and we too can have that in the kingdom of God just like Peter did here healing that person so in what ways are we being challenged to rise in faith and take authority in the name of Jesus in our lives. And finally, the second point. Now, I was due to meet someone for only the first or second time going back a few months ago, and I was praying for some insight into the person's character while I was driving home. And I walked through my front door, and there was some advertising pushed through my letterbox. And as I opened it, this thing just caught me straight away. I don't know if it was that particular pizza company. I can just remember a blue leaflet 
And I could remember these words, cool, calm, collected. And then I just felt the Holy Spirit drop something that this person I'm going to be getting to know over time is someone who is cool, calm, and collected, and for them to have that developed in their lives. And I was reflecting upon that. You know, someone who is cool, calm, and collected in all situations, you kind of get this from Jesus here in this storm, but being like neutral, but in control, in changing circumstances and surroundings, not flying off the handle or going into, you know, worry and into drama, but being, you know, cool, calm, and collected and trusting God in this situation. What is the impression we get from Jesus in the storm here? How can we develop being cool, calm, collected and walking forward in faith in challenging times? Now, Jesus did challenge the disciples in verse 26. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Now, I'm just not sure how I would have responded in that if I was standing in the disciples' wellies at that time. You know, how would I have responded? I don't know. But in the panic and in the storm, Jesus commanded and brought calm into being. The power of the storm was destructive and dangerous. But Jesus spoke to it and rebuked the weather. And in a similar way, he spoke to a demon-possessed man. The words are, are, are the same, recorded in Mark 1, where we hear that um, he addressed an unclean, impure spirit in a man, and he rebuked the spirit. Jesus said, be quiet, and he said it sternly, with authority. Come out of him, he said. And the impure spirit we read in, in these verses here shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Those are the words. And we just recognize sometimes the reality of, of the darkness in this world when someone is controlled or under, you know, not the grace of God, shall we say, but struggling is something very difficult. But Jesus addressed the person and, and addressed the spirit to relieve the man from this like persecution and pressure and oppression in his life. And it's a great example of Jesus showing love with an authority. So he's rebuking the storm here, and we read that he rebukes, you know, this dark kind of wrong, heavy, dark spirit holding this man. And Jesus, um, Jesus last week taught, no, Julian taught, but there was plenty of Jesus in it as well on the two demon-possessed men who, who, who Jesus spoke to and helped. And, you know, if you get a chance to read more about that, to, you know, please do listen to Julian's talk again. It's really superb. To get a deep understanding of how God wants to take and give us freedom in our lives, in our faith, in our walk. And it's so good uh, to be able to do that, to, to, to know his freedom and his peace for our day-to-day. And we can trust Jesus to bring calm even in the wildest of storms in life, to bring peace into every storm and situation. Now, especially there's the storm of like grief and sorrow when we suffer grief and sorrow in life and when we face time of loss and sorrow. We are given hope that in those difficult days, there is the goodness of God, the eternal call of God, the peace and love of God 
to know and to hold on to for our lives. Paul explained a vision in 2 Corinthians 12, in 12 and mentions about this paradise, if you remember, and the things which were inexpressible, things beyond amazing. So in the darkness of grief and sorrow, there is this amazing something eternal that God has for us, for those who believe that there is peace to be found in the grief and the sorrow. And Jesus can bring peace into that storm. There is the storm sometimes of doubt and of stress and uncertainty and the crossroads of life, not knowing which way to turn. Matthew brought that encouraging prophetic insight during the worship there. We're looking to do the right thing at those times when there's a decision to be made, a direction to go into. What peace can we find in Jesus in those times? Well, one thing I think is good is to submit to the call and to the lead of Jesus in those times, to express faith, to have humility, to submit to Jesus in this way brings peace into difficult times, knowing that in our decision-making is him we go to, humility, peace, trusting in him. We had a great small group chat this week in our church small group about humility, very encouraging, knowing that Jesus' plan and how he works in our lives is more important sometimes than our own feelings and where we want to go and what we want to do, but trusting in him, doing the right thing, having humility. And finally, the storm of anxiety, the enemy of personal peace is worry. It's horrible feeling. If it, for any of us who've ever felt or known anxiety and worry in our lives, it's a horrible place to be, isn't it? to look for hope, to find peace, to know goodness, to know that the future is going to be all right, to know that this situation is going to be overbearing. Again, we can find the peace of God in those times, in anxious times, in our anxious thoughts, in the unknown future for our loved ones or the worry for ourselves. Jesus reminds us of a loving father. And just in closing, I want to just say this verse here from 2 Thessalonians. And it reads like this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. And these words to the Thessalonians there are words of encouragement to know peace at all times, to experience the calm of Christ in our lives in a real way. But it does take faith and it can be challenging but we can know that peace in a real way. So why don't we close our eyes and I'll pray uh, to close this morning. Yes, Lord, we remember a year when you love, Lord, for us. And we remember, Lord, to really know you, Lord, in a real way. As we like commune with you, Lord, and stop sometimes and press the pause button in our comings and goings, and listen to you, Lord, and to speak to you. May we remember your love, Lord, and your peace. Sometimes in a storm, sometimes just in a normal day, that we can know your goodness. And to know the peace and the calm, Lord. To know the peace and the calm in every situation, in the various seasons that we live in, Lord. And right now, Holy Spirit, again in faith, 
we ask you to work throughout this particular chapter. Each of us are living in, Lord, and we're grateful to you, and we give thanks to you, and we step into faith, and we lean into faith in these times. So, Holy Spirit, again, we, we are grateful to you to do your work, Lord, to speak to our hearts, to encourage our lives. We're grateful to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. <clears throat>